From global enterprises to early stage startups, from the front desk to the corner office, every workplace has a cultural story to tell. Welcome to Talking Culture, where these stories come to life. I'm your host, Wade Billings, and each week we delve into the complexity of workplace culture. We dissect and analyze how it is consciously crafted, passionately nurtured, and vigilantly guarded. This week, I'm joined by Steve Dwyer, a professional career coach for IT and software engineering professionals and leaders. Steve brings a wealth of experience from his 20 plus years working for and with great companies and people. In this episode, we'll explore how Steve has emphasized the importance of culture and helped his clients shape environments where everyone feels heard, valued, and motivated. So whether it's coffee, tea, or something a bit stronger, grab your drink of choice, get comfortable, and let's venture into another fascinating episode of Talking Culture. Well, welcome to the Talking Culture podcast. First episode. How's it feel, Steve, to be the first guest on what's going to be the, the world's biggest podcast? Awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honored. I, I really respected you, Wade, and, and I know that you have a passion around culture. So to, to be the first person on your podcast around culture, it's, it, it's an honor. So well, thank you. You, you. you are too kind, my, my friend. Uh, just for formal introductions for any uh, new listeners, which I think at this point, everybody's a new listener. <laughs> Uh, my name is Wade Billings. Uh, I have been in technology for probably longer than I want to admit, going into my third decade. Uh, I like to say I've, I've been there, I've done that, I bought the t-shirt, got the battle scars, uh, and I've known Steve for, let's see, doing the math, about 16 years, I think, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there, yes. Yeah, we worked together at a company called Medicity, um, and you know when I met Steve, I knew right away that this was a person of, of integrity and character, and and uh, you know I, I put him in the the list of people I want to definitely keep uh, in touch with and part of my life because uh, it's not often that you meet high quality people. So um, thank you for uh, you know letting me stay in touch with you, my friend. Yeah, well, thank you for keeping in touch. Uh, you're very kind with your words. So. You're, well, well deserved. Okay, so. Let's get into the topic of culture. So uh, again, since it's the first episode, I guess probably need to wrap some context around this podcast. Um, this podcast really came out of uh, some research that I uh, started about nine months ago. Uh, I left a job, and as I was doing my um, you know, personal after-action review, which is what happened, what was supposed to happen, and why did it happen the way that it did happen? I started to notice a through line, and that was that the culture that I was in um, was was changing around me, and I was not really aware of the changes until really I was starting to head out the door, and people came to me and were being very open and very honest. And, uh, you know, were telling me things that I was shocked about. And as I reflected upon that, I, again, noticed that, oh, I can now see where this started to happen and, why, and, and started to, to th- theorize why it started to happen. And so that led me to the idea that, hey, 
the best cultures in the world, workplace cultures, um, nobody is, is, is immune to toxicity. Nobody is immune uh, to you know, having cultural decay occur. And, and that started me wondering how we can, as leaders, and really as members and, and citizens of said cultures, how we can start to see these things before they turn, um, you know, they, they turn po- uh, toxic or they become insidious, um, which then lead, led me to conver- having conversations with people like Steve, uh, because what he does uh, and, and how he does it, you know, he sees a completely different perspective than I do. And I didn't want us to get on a podcast and talk about toxicity because that's frankly, that's a really, that's a downer. <laughs> type of, mm-hmm. of, of topic. I want to talk about culture holistically. Um, so that's the context of this conversation that we're about to have. And, you know, Steve, as I mentioned, has a very interesting perspective on things. And so um, in order to kind of get us there, and as a little bit of a device, uh, I've come up with three questions. What, they're a little bit personal, but not too personal, but I really want the listener to kind of get a sense for who you are, Steve. Um, my first question is, what brings you joy? Well, there's a, there'd be a lot of things. And so I would say a combination of spending time with my family and enjoying what I would call the handiwork of our creator. And one of the areas that that overlaps is when we get the chance and when the weather is right, my wife and I like to get up early in the morning and we live not too far from Stone Mountain, Georgia. So we like to hike to the top of Stone Mountain in the dark and watch the sunrise. That so, sounds amazing. Yeah. That, so that brings joy. It's, it's a grueling hike up, but always worth it. And it's never the same view twice. So is that amazing how that is? Um, mm-hmm. I live in Florida. And while it's not a, a laborious hike to get to, I, I like to go to the beach and watch the sun come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, very much the same. There's no no two sunrises are the same. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I very much appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question is: When was the last time you felt a sense of thriving? Thriving. That's a, a very powerful word. Um, and I think my answer is going to be kind of weird in that it's almost always. Um, really? And I have a saying that makes sense to me. And when I share it, people give me really weird looks. And that is, I am always content, never satisfied. Oh, I love that. Um, and it, it's, I have, I already have everything I need to be perfectly content with life. And yet I am also not satisfied with who I am. Um, and I always want, I know that with the blessing I've been given, I feel a heavy responsibility to go do something with it, to have an impact. And there's always more of an impact to have. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I said what I said at the top of the episode, um, about you, that that's something that you exude that Steve, you mm-hmm. exude as a person that cares and wants to do their best, not only for themselves, but for the people around them, which I think is, again, why when I think of culture, I think of people like you and the impact and influence that you have 
whether you know it or not. Um, but I, I love that, you know, uh, always content, never satisfied. That is, that's a powerful statement. Um, I aspire to that statement. Um, and then my last question, and then we'll get into the meat of the conversation is when did you first really become aware of this thing we call work culture? I don't know that I would have noticed it as work culture at the time, but thinking back on the question, it was really my first job right after graduation. I worked for an organization that was known for having some very strong positions on things that can be very personal beliefs. And while I wouldn't say that their stances were wrong, there was a, a period of time where they took a very public stance mm. on an issue where they began to call out other organizations that I respected okay. for having reached a different conclusion than they did Got and it. calling them out as wrong. And what I noticed after that was that while I still thought I landed on the same side of the issue that they did, mm -hmm. the way that they approached it and published it, I noticed that I no longer felt the the drive to serve them with the intensity that I once did. Got it. And that was really when I started really entertaining the thoughts of finding somewhere else to work. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, as I mentioned through my, my research, I've, I've interviewed uh, quite a number of people. And one of the uh, constants, rather the, the common themes uh, around their departure, if they were, if they had departed the organization that we were discussing, um, you know, I asked the question, was that, was the culture, um, you know, influencing your decision to leave? And hundred percent of them said yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Which led me to kind of change uh, uh, a, an idiom that we have in, in business, which is people don't quit companies, they quit managers. Um, mm. I've changed that to people don't quit companies. They flee toxic cultures, or they Ooh. flee bad cultures. Mm. And I chose the word flee specifically because it wasn't about, they were like, I, they weren't, um, dispassionate about it. They were very passionate about that decision. Mm -hmm. I, I had to get out of there. And I don't, I didn't hear that in your story Like you had to get out of there, but there sounded like there was definitely an impetus for you to, to move on from that, that, uh, that organization because of the culture that surrounded you. Yeah. And, and even, even without that drive to flee, I mean, when I first joined, I knew it was not going to be my long-term career, okay. but I said, I, I don't know how I'm going to know that it's time to leave. And so this was not, this was a very minor issue. Mm. Even, even in the moment I recognized it as minor and yet it was just what I needed to start yeah. the thinking now might be the time I always knew was going to be coming. Yeah, that's powerful. Again, thank you for sharing that. The reason that, uh, again, I thought of you really for the first episode of this, of this uh, podcast is the work that you do. And uh, just to recap, uh, you know, from the introduction that I have laid out for you, you are a, you know, a professional coach uh, mm -hmm. of others. And 
One of the things that we talked about previously that I would love to hear more about is you'd made mention something that, you know, culture doesn't really come up mm-hmm. as part of your uh, curriculum, for lack of a better term, or part of the discussions that you start having. You'll, you'll talk with your clients about, you know, performance-related issues or concerns or, or aspirations uh, or just general, how do I get better at, at this sort mm-hmm. of things. But the topic of culture doesn't really come up as a prominent theme. Am, am I capturing that correctly? Right. It At least not as the way that they don't present it as, I want help with culture. Got it. And I would posit that the topics of, of performance and development and coaching and mentorship and, you know, anything that as leaders uh, or just as individual contributors that we're, we're focusing on for our own development and betterment, um, those things are, are encapsulated or, in, or surrounded by culture. Oh, very much. Yeah. And so I would love to get your thoughts, Steve, on why do you think that culture is not held as a, what I will call a top tier um, theme when it comes to personal development or leadership? I, I, I will say as an aside that I have been in an organization that did call it out. Okay. And that, and that was, that was pretty amazing to be part of that. But I think a lot of it is when you look at, um, when you look at math for what's going to make a business successful, um, culture is so far under the surface. It's not part of a, there are no variables that you can directly put into a formula. Right. When you're, when you're driving based on um, sales and you've you've just got to make the numbers. And especially if you've got quarterly numbers that you have to meet because you're publicly traded or I've just got to make payroll. I mean, (laughs) those are, you know, the two kind of extremes culture. It's like one of those, I, I know we ought to get to this someday, but right now I need to focus on the burning issue, which has numbers behind it. Right. Yeah. Um, brings to mind that I've been in a number of, of uh, war room type of mm. meetings, right. Mm-hmm. Where something's changed within the business. Right. And as, as executive leaders or thought leaders, um, you know, we're being brought together to come up with the idea of how to get us out of the current situation. Mm-hmm. And I cannot recall um, at any time did anybody around that table, that metaphorical or, or literal table say, what about our culture is either hindering us or empowering us to do what we need to do? Right. So it's not we, we talk about changing sales tactics or we talk about altering product roadmaps or how we're going to market differently be, or, or frankly, you know, we, we've gone from a B to B type of, of sales motion to a B to C type sales motion. But we don't we don't ask the question, is there something culturally that either we need to do, we need to 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 change or we go, you know what, that's our superpower. That's our secret mm. weapon is the fact that 
our culture is built around X, Y, or Z uh, will allow us to do what we need to do. If we just paid attention to it, or if we just focused on it. Um, and I think it's because it is hard to measure. It is hard. It, it's very, it, it's, it seems to be a very ethereal topic. People have a hard time grasping what culture is. And also you're, you're right. And I think there's also an area where the return on investment in culture takes a long time. It takes a long time for those seeds to grow. So if you're looking for, if you're in a war room situation, you're not looking for what should we have been doing for the last year? You're looking for what do I change now to get me out of the situation now? Right. And even if you do say, okay, we're here because our culture is bad. And even if you do say, okay, this is what our culture needs to be. And you go publish that and you make a statement. Okay, we've been wrong about culture. Now we're going to change it. What's the typical response to that kind of a message? Yeah. Oh, like, that's, that's going to be hard. <laughs> it's that's, like, oh yeah, that's cute. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, th yeah. There's a lot of skepticism and um, frankly, I, I don't blame people for being skeptical uh, because, you know, uh, and, and, we're going to get into this topic after the, the break here in a minute, but just to tease it a little bit, um, as you've already mentioned, culture is hard to measure. Culture mm -hmm. is something that um, we, we know is there, uh, and there have been countless books and, and TED Talks and blog posts written about culture. So it is a real thing, right? It's, it's an entity. Um, but I don't think we really understand fully how to not only measure it, but how to cultivate it and curate it and manage it. Um, and again, that's part of the reason we're, you know, I, I wanted to get this podcast out there is to help people, one, become very aware of culture and two, try to demystify it, right? Mm -hmm. Try to bring it into the realm of, the objective rather than the subjective. So we can put some measurements around it and we can, we can observe it. And if we can observe it, we can measure it. If we can measure it, we can, we can track its progress and we can experiment and we can do things, you know, we, we could do what with culture, what we do with sales motions or with product roadmaps or mm -hmm. with hiring plans. Um, so let's, Let's do this. I'm going to take a break, let our sponsors make us some money. Uh, <laughs> and then when we come back for the break, we'll kind of get into, you know, your thoughts around measuring because you've got some great thoughts around it. I love, I loved your ideas that you shared, uh, you know, last time we talked um, and hopefully get to a point where, you know, people can walk away from this episode with some, some actionable items that they can do, you know, tomorrow um, to help push themselves as well as their organization towards this goal of making cu culture a superpower for them. Sound good? Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, while we're gone, uh, listen to our lovely sponsors. Uh, they are going to talk about their products and their services, and hopefully um, you know, you'll stick around and come back for the second half of this podcast.
And we're back. Well, that was a it was a great break. Oh, um, I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say heavy topics. Um, okay, so uh, let's get into uh, as I've called it, kind of getting real about measuring culture. Um, and you had brought up some some things that you've heard, some ideas that you've had. So I, I will shut up now and uh, let you kind of take it from there. All right. Yeah. The conversation that we had earlier, we were, we were talking about, you know, how, a couple things. How do you measure your current state of culture and um, really the, the lagging indicators, the outcomes, you know, how, how are we given our past? How are we now with the culture? And some of the surveys that purport to help measure that, the survey that I'm thinking of in particular was the Gallup survey. Mm-hmm. You, you had some some familiarity with that. You remember it a lot more, the, the specific questions about, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a best friend at work? And while we can't necessarily go in and manipulate the system to create best friend relationships at work, when there are best friend relationships at work, that is an indicator, a lagging indicator that there is a positive, healthy culture, at least for that person. Right. Um, and then, so having, having a standard like the Gallup survey where you can compare yourself, not just against your past, but also against others in your industry and others across industries, that does give you some sort of an objective numerical measure of how we're doing with culture. Right. And then we talked about, um, I, I don't think we talked about uh, some of the other leading indicators to culture. Um, and I, I can remember where I learned this. It was a, it was a podcast called Manager Tools. And they have done a, a huge study on data of over, I think it's 175,000 managers and looking at what are the management behaviors that contribute to a positive work environment. And they were identify which ones had the most impact, most significant impact. And it just came down to a handful of them having one-on-ones, giving good feedback, coaching, and delegation. Okay. And the data around one-on-ones specifically, just very interesting, was they found that the best frequency was to have weekly one-on-ones. Second best was every other week. And the the thing that surprised me was if you have one-on-ones once a month, it was worse than not having one-on-ones at all. Really? Yeah. Did, did they give any background information on, on why that is? The purpose, they say, of the one-on-one is to build relationships. Yes. And when you're having it every week, you the frequency itself is communicating how important that other person is to you. When you have meet one-on-ones once a month, yeah. it turns into a status meeting and it becomes all about the manager. Right. And so now you're communicating even more. I matter. You don't. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, that is incredibly insightful because, um, you know, uh, as, as I've contemplated, what are some of these leading indicators and the thought of, you know, how do we sample for those? 
or, or, or look for the, those, those leading indicators around culture. Um, I remember that some of the, well, the best cultures that I've ever been in um, had a couple things in common. And one of them for me was that I had an intimate relationship with my leader. Mm-hmm. Right. And when I say that word intimate, you know, that's kind of a charged word, but I want to, I want to be very clear. They knew me. Yes. Um, and they, they cared about me and they mm-hmm. cared about what was going on in my world. And they realized that between eating and sleeping and working, I was, I was spending more time with them than I was my own family. Yeah. In a, in a, in a, some very real ways. And so they did not want to just say, okay, this is work and it's encapsulated and it's compartmentalized and nothing from outside the work can in, enter into it and vice versa. That's not reality. Right. So there, mm-hmm. there was a culture of, of caring, a culture of intimacy, a culture of, uh, you know, making, the making your people or helping not making that sounds forceful, but helping <laughs> your people uh, understand that, that you do matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's incredibly insightful. And uh, I hadn't really thought about the, the, the frequency. We all just you know hear that you have to have one-on-ones. Mm-hmm. They're, they're incredibly important and you should have them weekly. But I had not heard about, you know, if it's monthly, it's just don't have them. Right. It's, it's better or possibly better not to have them. Interesting. And, but actually do have them at least, at least have them them every other week. Yeah. Good good point. Yeah. Definitely have them. And, and part of that relationship that you felt, we, we talked earlier about, um, before the recording about that psychological safety factor. And when, when you know that your direct manager cares about your life, you have that sense of psychological safety. And we can say it's hard to measure, but um, I've been in an organization where they did periodically ask people on a scale of you know, zero to 10, how, how safe is it for you to um, disagree with your boss, to mm-hmm. share personal, you know, personal challenges. And so there is a sense in which we can start to gather those metrics. Um, we do run the danger of having so many surveys that we get survey fatigue. Right. And I think one of the things that we talked about earlier was how do you get that in? And part of it is if you have an, a, a survey that the entire company is doing, such as Gallup, right. there, there are good ways to be able to isolate that to individual manage individual managers. Um, but then there's also the possibility of 360s where we, we often have those 360s, but we often don't deliberately put culture questions in there. So I think why that's think, why do you think that is? I think we don't think about it. I mean we we have our core competencies and unless unless we have defined our core competencies with culture in mind. Right. And I've been somewhere that did do that mm-hmm. and, and it, and it was good. 
But unless, unless we have thought about culture deliberately and made it into the core competencies of what it takes to be a good manager, then they don't bubble into the kinds of things that we're measuring for. Right. As a positive example of somebody or a company that I think is doing this well, they do what is called a, a cultural canvas on an annual basis. Mm. And this canvas is a, an anonymous survey they send out and it is all around the culture. And then those results are, are analyzed mm-hmm. and they take that data and they, and they really get it down to the individual leader level and, you know, build, um, you know, perspectives around you, you and your team, and then your team and its larger organization, then its larger organization, and then the company. So, I mean, you get to see how it builds upon each, each other. Um, and they take it, they take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, now that said, and again, it goes back to, well, why did I, feel like, you know, things were starting to slip. Well, again, turns out that even if you're doing things, all the quote, quote, right things, culture can still slip. Mm -hmm. It can still decay. It can still change. It can still become toxic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that really comes back to the people, right? Because we are all caught in the human condition. And, um, you know, if we were all, uh, acting with integrity and with uh, having, you know, as a leader, if I have your best interest in mind at all times, then we have a fighting chance of culture not slipping. But that's, that's a high bar to set. Um, I think it's realistic, but I think that's a high bar to set for people. And, and it's extremely difficult to live into consistently. Right. And, and, you at the beginning of this episode, you talked about your shift on the the common saying: people don't leave uh, companies; they they flee toxic culture. The way they feel that toxic culture is often from their direct manager, right? And so that one individual, even in an organization that takes culture seriously, and I saw this with the place that I that that I talking about where I worked, where things did focus on culture. They said, you know, they call it people are the center of the flywheel. And they didn't just mean that. I mean, they didn't just say that at the, at the highest level of senior leadership, they demonstrated that they meant it. And yet you've got lots of manager positions that you've got to fill. Absolutely. And so there are so many skills that a manager needs and sometimes the person that you need for the job, they're that skill about relating to people, reflecting even a well-defined company culture may not be the skill. That may be the skill where they're lacking and the people under them will feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Perfect segue uh, into another topic I want to touch on before we go to a break, which is um, we had talked about, I termed it cultural baggage. Um, you know, that is, we've had, you know, you and I have both had, you know, uh, examples of great culture and examples of not so great culture Mm -hmm. and that all those, all those experiences go into forming our perspective around Mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a person that has 
uh, not really experienced a great culture. Uh, I think of one of my daughters who, you know, has been in a call center mm. for most of her work life, and that is not a great culture. <laughs> um, and so her perspective and perception around cultures is, again, not great. Um, and she is biased towards thinking that that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what have you seen, uh, Steve, from a, I don't know, how do I want to call this a preconceived notion or possibly confirmation bias or, or recency yeah. bias or whatever, as it pertains to culture? Um, it, it, it's very, very strong. I mean, the, the way that it often shows up in my conversations is people will describe a hesitancy to do something that they think they ought to do. And the hesitance is in how they believe other people will respond or react to them. And the evidence that they share is the history that they've had in other places. And so they've, they've become conditioned not to act outside of this certain box that they've built for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and they're carrying that box with them from job to job to job. Right. And that box might be, this is the way I expect my, my boss to treat me or right. to respond if I do this. Or it may be, I can't do that because this is the way, um, this is the way software engineers just are, or this is the way people from this country are, or this mm-hmm. is the way any of a number of boxes that you put people in, they're this way. And so I can't do this thing that I think I ought to be doing. Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent hear you and agree with you. I think, you know, putting people in boxes, uh, uh, again, we, we are very good as humans of doing it. Well, that's, how we perceive the world, right? It's, it's, I recognize that ergo, that must be that, right? And, you know, if, if it walks like a duck and sounds like a duck, must be a duck. Yeah. And, and, um, and in a lot of the, I'm sorry, in a lot of our training, we're, we're taught, even in, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion training, we're taught to recognize those uh, hidden biases. Mm-hmm. And, and often we come out of those conversations feeling shamed right. because of the biases when in fact our, our brains were designed that way because we need that ability to respond quickly, to make snap judgments, right. to conserve energy and to keep us alive. Right. It comes back to the, the flee or flee or flee or fight or fawn or I don't know. There's, they keep adding on to that. Uh, right. Uh, the fight or flight or flee or fawn. There we go. Um, I think that's somewhere in there. Anyway, um, great time to take a break because when we come back from it, I again, want to give our listeners some, some, some ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe plant some seeds into their brains about some things that they might be able to do as individuals. Uh, and again, regardless whether you're an individual contributor or you're a leader or you're a founder, uh, it doesn't really matter where you are with an organization, everybody has, uh, can have an impact on their culture, mm-hmm. positive or negative, hopefully positive. So I want to, again, uh, pick your brain around some ideas around um, what are some things that people can do tomorrow uh, that are realistic and achievable for them to help move the culture in the direction that they see that it needs to move. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So 
Again, we're going to take a break, let our sponsors do their job. Uh, we're going to go, you know, grab a drink or, or a donut or whatever we do during the breaks, and we'll <laughs> see you on the other side. And we're back. So, as I mentioned before we broke, um, let's get into what I'm calling the, the three things discussion. Um, and I've got some ideas written down, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to throw those away a little bit because... Um, you know, we had, during our discussion, you talked about um, having a sense of, of, of mattering and having a, a sense of, you know, what, what, what does a healthy culture look like to people? What does it feel like to people? Um, and one of the things we did write down here that I will build off of is, you know, what can people do or what can I do as a, as a individual to help somebody else feel like they matter? What is, how does that, what does that show up like in your experience? What would you, what would you tell me if I was a client of yours, Steve, and I said, I really want to work on helping, you know, helping people feel like they matter. What would be some of those skills or, or phrases or even perceptions that people should have? Um, so to step back just a little bit about, uh, the coaching, um, I would end up, if, if you were a client, I would turn that question around and have you explore what mattering looks like to you. And then have you explore then what, how that might, uh, translate to different people in your sphere of influence. So if I'm looking at myself as a manager, as that official representative of the company and the culture, I might think about how am I showing up in those one-on-ones? Right. Am I having them with the frequency that tells somebody you matter to me? Am I giving them the opportunity to go first? Am I hearing what they're saying? Am I able to summarize accurately? This is what I'm hearing from you. This sounds important to you. And am I honoring what is important to that other person. If I step outside of the official management role, then it's really about when I'm collaborating with others, am I able to hear what's important to them? Or am I just presuming, assigning motive when they disagree with me and I talk about them to other people? Right. Am I assigning motive? Well, they're just trying to fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. When I when I do that, when I tell you about my opinion of somebody else's motive, that gives you an impression about how all people matter to me, including right. you. Right. And so if I can, if I can be the person who listen, uh, I, I love. I think it's habit number five from uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from Stephen Covey. Mm -hmm. If I can listen first to understand, Mm -hmm. then to be understood, that is a beautiful way of showing people that they matter, regardless of what your relationship is. Absolutely. Um, I love that, right? It it sounds easy, (laughs) but it, and it's not, it's not hard either. It, It just, you have to be intentional about it. Yes. Right. Consistently. And consistently intentional about it. And 
uh, you know, I have found that not only saying the words, I mean, let me put it this way. If I'm sitting in a, in a one-on-one and my, my leader is saying, is saying the words, you matter, that's, that's going to fill my tank a little bit. But if this person then shows me that I matter mm-hmm. by doing a number of the things that you just talked about, that really fills my tank. Right, because now the words and the actions back each other up, um, and I think all too often that we kind of get into this performative routine where it's mm-hmm. I'll say the words and I mean them, but sometimes my actions betray my words, right, or I don't necessarily mm-hmm. follow through with the actions in a consistently intentional sort of way. Um, which kind of going back to your, uh, you know, the discussion we had about the one-on-ones, having them on a monthly basis is almost as bad as not having them. It's saying the words and then not following up with, mm-hmm. with actions is actually worse than ever saying the words in the first place, right? Because now I have an expectation. Now I have my hopes up that this person is actually going to back up and make me feel like I matter. And when they don't, it's like, oh, well, that sucked. Um, so. and, and, and here, here's a positive example. Yes. Um, er, early in my career, I remember, um, we went on site to a client because there was weekend work that we had to do uh, unexpected. I showed up and my boss had to be there to open the door, to let us in. And as we were there with this very heavy work assignment that we needed to go to, as I walked to the door, his first words were to me were, hey, Steve, how's your boy? And I, 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 was, I was already in the work mode and I was like, how's my boy? What does he mean? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I told him yesterday that my son wasn't feeling well. Right. That, those three words, how's your boy, shouted to me, you matter. Yeah. Um, and that's a, little, that's a little trick that I can hopefully give to our listening audience um, is when I hear things like that, I write it down. Mm. Uh, every contact in my book I have, uh, well, th- that I, I know of, I have people's partners' names written down, their kids' names written down. Um, and if I hear something about something that's going on outside of the work confines, I make note of it. Um, and I, I ask him about it because one, I, I absolutely care. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, uh, I for, you know, there's a lot that happens in a day. And so I don't want to forget about it. That's why I write it down. Right. And so, um, th- that little thing, how's your boy, that one little mm-hmm. question, very powerful. Yeah. Right. Um, so, Let's wrap up the, the one, one of the three things that you can do is, is this, I guess to summarize is listen to what is being said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if there is a, I don't know what to call it. I would I'd love to give it a fancy term, but I could just say if there's a, uh, a golden nugget there, right? <laughs> My boy's not feeling well. Um, I'm going on a cruise in two weeks. 
oh, I just got back from a vacation. I, you know, the something that they have shared with you, hold on to that golden nugget and ask about it and, and bring it back up because it's that callback that shows that you care and that you matter to them. Did they get that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, so the other thing is you mentioned about uh, how to measure culture and we have the Gallup 12 and we have, you know, the Spotify squad health survey. And there's a couple of other surveys out there that do a pretty decent job of, of asking some fairly specific questions around culture. But you had mentioned that we don't have those kind of questions in the 360 and it feels a little subversive, which I love. Uh, <laughs> but what can individuals do to maybe get those questions into those kind of surveys? Well, often, um, at least in the 360s that I've participated in, there is an opportunity for the subject of the 360. Is that what you call it? The, the person who's being reviewed, the reviewee? The re- yeah, reviewee. Yeah, so th- there's an opportunity for the reviewee to, one, identify who they want the survey to go to, but sometimes there's also an opportunity to put in custom questions. Mm-hmm. And so even if the company that you're in is not so culture-focused that they're pulling in the Spotify or the Gallup survey broadly, you can still ask those questions in the 360. If you identify uh, things like psychological safety, what what are the areas in your organization that you believe psychological safety could come up and ask about those questions, Um, just put in into your own 360, or if you don't have a system for a 360, it's a little, it's one thing I like about the formal systems is that there's somebody outside the company who is formulating everything and keeping things anonymous. Right. But if you're, if you're bold enough and, um, and you're, you believe you're the people who will participate are bold enough, you could just flat out ask and say, Hey, I am trying to improve. I want to know the areas. If you, if you've demonstrated a history of being able to take um, corrective feedback well, even from your peers and the people who report to you, then creating your own 360 and just sending it out can be helpful. And just ask about the areas of, you know, do you feel that you matter to me um, in areas like that? I love that. Um, You know, I, Getting those kind of surveys from Workday or Gallup or, again, uh, from the, 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 the prepared surveys, right? They, mm-hmm. they have to prepare them to, to a, what's the lowest common denominator, right? They have to prepare them to mm-hmm. work everywhere. Right. And I think it takes some of the juice out of them, right? It's, mm-hmm. it, takes, it makes them feel very generic and very bland and very corporate Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what you're suggesting, and then the reason I think it's kind of subversive a little bit is, you know, slipping those kind of questions into your 360 and making them your own, right? Like, for example, I would ask something like, you know, am I being a 
a good model of our culture? You know, am I uh, promoting our culture? Am I detracting from our culture? Am I upholding the tenets of our culture? When you think of me, does the word culture even <laughs> enter into the word cloud, right? Um, so you can actually get really specific and, and hopefully get, you know, get the, the, the person answering the question to, to think about it and provide some specific examples. Because again, a yes, no doesn't help. A yes, no answer doesn't help. Yes, you, you know, it's right. yes, and this is, this is why I think this way, right? This is what you did. Uh, or didn't do that, that, you know, led me to this answer. And, and, and with those, a couple of things that I've learned recently is if you can ask first, what do I do well? Right. Then they're more willing to answer, what do I need work on? Yes. Agree. And the other thing is if you can have a, a live face-to-face, even if virtual conversation that you're going to be sending the questions then they can see in your they can see your heart that you really mean it yes. versus just getting the the emailed survey questions. Right. That it's just a performative sort of thing. How do you how would you recommend or what would you recommend people do to help them not bring the baggage along with them or at least be aware of the baggage? Mm-hmm. Um and, and its influence. What, what would be some of the things? And again, I know as a coach, you would probably turn mm-hmm. that question back on me, which is absolutely what coaches do. And I love it. Um, but I would, you know, as, as Steve, uh, <laughs> what would be some, I guess I would ask for yourself, what would be some of the things that you would do for yourself that would help you see the baggage that you're dragging along with you from a cultural perspective? And, and that really is the skill of self-coaching. Really, and it and it's it that that part of self coaching can absolutely be learned, and that is simply when I recognize that I'm stuck. I I think there's something that I ought to be doing, or everybody else is doing. Everybody else is succeeding in this way, and I'm not. the The question that I typically ask anybody can ask themselves, and that is, what is the fear that's holding you back? Mm. You know, you, you believe you're supposed to be doing this and yet you're not. Right. What is causing the hesitation? Right. And often in a coaching conversation, there's a giant pause because that takes work. Yeah. You don't need a coach to ask you that question to do the work. Right. What, where is this coming from? And then the next follow-up question is what, what is the source of that belief? Right. Where did that come from? And then the the third question, is that true? Hmm. That's a, and that is the 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 key question. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Right. And only you can answer that question in a way that you will believe. Yep, absolutely. Steve, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. Ah, thank you. I've had a great great time. I can't believe it's almost been an hour since we started the podcast. Wow, flown by. I know. Um, but before I let you go, uh, are there any things you, any things that you want to, or are there things that you want to plug? I mean, you've got a business, love you to plug sure. your business. Um, I know you have some social media presence, uh, if you like to plug those or, or really anything that I'm just going to turn it over to you. 
what what do you want to leave behind for the listener to follow you? Well, I love the work that you're doing in culture, and part of my passion is helping those leaders, especially the IT and software engineering leaders. They think they just got promoted when they moved from individual contributor, and they're discovering this was a complete career change. Yep. And the person I was that was successful as one in, in one realm, I have to become somebody different. Right. That is who I help with coaching. So if that sounds like you, I'd love to have you visit northwayinsights.com slash apply. And we'll find out if the kind of coaching I do is the kind of coaching that you're looking for. So that, that would be my biggest plug. Uh, talk about social media. Um, I am active on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, I'm Steve Dwyer, D-W-I-R-E, a weird way of spelling it, but I say it's a weird way of spelling because my last name is an anagram for the word weird, um, which says a whole lot. <laughs> now, um, I can now not, uns- <laughs> I can now not see that. That's, that's, that's awesome. So that, that would be the, the best way to connect via LinkedIn or uh, Facebook. Excellent. And just as a, an aside and a, and a personal testimony of the power of coaching, um, you know, I have been uh, blessed in my life to have worked with some, some great coaches like Steve. Um, it is incredibly transformative if you allow it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Steve said is, is a truth because uh, I've observed it and I've lived it where you go from an individual, individual contributorship role where you are top performer, right? And your, your leader decides to reward you, air quotes, mm-hmm. by making you a leader. And so Friday, you're a senior, whatever. And then Monday, you're now an engineering manager or a team leader, whatever. It's a, you, in, over that weekend, you have switched careers. Mm-hmm. There is no, uh, you know, that's not hyperbole. You have done that. And I think as leaders, and I've been guilty of this, we are actually doing our people a disservice by not saying to them in that situation, especially if they come to you and say, I, I want to go into leadership, to say, great, let's get you some coaching before you do. Right, because it, it will prepare you for not only for yourself, but for those that you're about to lead. So, again, uh, I cannot uh, uh, give an, a, enough um, positive thoughts, words, vibes out there to what Steve is doing. So, uh, go, go give him all all the business he can handle. Um, okay, so first first episodes in the can. That's awesome. Uh, and Steve, thank you again for your time, uh, for your words, for the work that you're doing. Um, and I guess that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you for your passion on making culture uh, a, a topic of conversation. It talked about wanting to have an impact. It's contributing to work like you're doing. That is a great way to have that impact. You're, you're being a multiplier. So well, definitely appreciate that. I hope so. Uh, and I guess parting words, uh, if you can be something, be uh, always content and never satisfied. <laughs> okay. You.